Hello, and welcome back to Reginald and Joe at the movies. I'm Reginald. And I'm Joe. And we're here to do the thing that we love to do most. Talk about movies and film, and review and analyze them. Today's film is Peter Rabbit. Isn't that right, Joe? That's right. Now, Joe, let's be, let's be blunt. Neither of us particularly cared for this trash of a film. No, I thought it was dog shit. That's absolutely right. Now, I personally found the film to be a shallow and meaningless, borderline demeaning cash grab based on classic children's literature. Absolutely horrid. The very worst of commercial Hollywoodism. And I found the film to be pretentious and obscure, full of gross misandry. I personally also found the film to be quite misogynistic and possibly racist. Well, I was bothered by the way it tried to shove its woke agenda down my throat, like a gross sub-sandwich I never wanted to eat. Yes, Joe, I think even though our takes on the film greatly differ, I think there's one thing we can both agree on. This film was trash. In fact, I would describe it as a bag of fecal matter that has been set on fire and placed upon my door stoop where I must stomp it out, getting dog shit all over my lovely slippers. Well, Joe, I mean, Scott, sorry. I always confuse other people for myself. Scott. Uh, my name is Reg... My name is uh, Reginald. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, so Reginald, I would say that I thought the film was absurdly trashy. You know, like... Like a, like a single crack addict mom driving down the freeway in a car with one door missing while they give a hand job smoking a crack pipe in exchange for Xbox Live cards. I would go even further, Joe. To say that... I found the film to be trashy on par with a, with a trash fire rolling down a hill into a condemned a trailer park. A trailer park condemned for being covered in feces and therein smashing into and exploding that trailer park's meth lab. Oh man, Reginald, that was a damn good put down of a film. I also liked your put-down of the film. Quite well put. Reginald, kiss me, you bitch. Oh, yes. Yes, Joe, kiss me. Oh, God. Oh, yes. Oh, your takes on film turn me on. Oh, yes. And your takes on film turn me on. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to my new episode of Ruben and Cut. Tonight's topic, uh, well, before we get into tonight's topic, a quick update on my previous episode about why Republicans, about are, why are Republicans so horny for M&Ms? And um, I do want to do just a quick update here, which is, um, before I made that episode, I was unaware of, but on a certain level, not surprised to find out about later, 
that uh, M&M's, uh, Nestle, and I believe, is it Hershey? I'll have to look that up. You should look that up on your own. Uh, are currently being sued uh, because of their use of child labor to collect, to collect their uh, cacao, you know? Uh, so that's uh, pretty fucked up. I've known about it for years, but I'm glad to hear there's actually, you know, someone doing some shit about it. Because fuck Nestle and fuck Mars Bars and uh, possibly Hershey if they are, in fact, the third company listed. I could have looked it up before this, but I didn't. Anyways. <clears throat> they are being sued for that shit. Uh, which makes me think it's very probable that this whole controversy over the M&Ms being desexualized. It's really just a bunch of corporate smokescreen to distract the public from the fact that they're being sued for literal child slavery. What the fuck? So, uh, so yeah, I think that's probably what that's really about. So that's, uh, that's fucked up. So, let's go. It occurs to me that because I take sips of my beverage while I'm recording this, it probably adds a slight ASMR element to my podcast. I hope that that is not off-putting. Maybe it turns you on. No, anyways. Point being, today's topic. Film criticism is dumb. I know, some of you just got super offended. Let me elaborate. Okay, so, in my previous episode uh, about gatekeeping, I commented on a theory that I call the infinite Jesus uh, theory, which is the fact that if you are in church with someone, there's not everyone in that church is going to be thinking of Jesus the same way. They're all going to have a very different perspective on who they think Jesus was. And this applies to pretty much all forms of culture, especially, but probably not limited to, art. And I need to give you some of my background. I went to theater. I'm, I went to university, Kent State University, to, um, to study theater. The arts, if you will. And while I was doing that, um... I took a little class called Theater History. And I will be eternally grateful for taking that class. Uh, and I would thank the shit out of my professor who taught it, Dr. Banks, uh, who was a uh, very intense but an incredible teacher. Let's hear it for Dr. Banks. All right. So, um, the thing... And so the thing is that taking that class gave me a lot of extra perspective on uh, on the world in general. Like, the thing they don't tell you about going to college, the real benefit of going to college is that in a bunch of your various classes, they're going to teach you the specific history of certain things. And, if, and whenever given that opportunity, you should fucking take it. Like, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, history is so lame. No, history is fucking context for reality. You need fucking history. 
Jesus Christ. Get out and learn some goddamn history. You know what things everyone should know how to do? Read, write, and have a basic understanding of history. If you don't have these things, you're fucking stupid. I'm sorry. That was intense. I want to take that back. There are lots of people who can't read that are very intelligent, and I respect them a lot. And there's a lot of people who can't do math that are very intelligent, and I respect them a lot. I'm one of them. I am absolute dog shit at math. Absolute dog shit at it. And, and lots of people don't know history, and they're not necessarily stupid. They're misinformed. I'm sorry. I got carried away there and got emotional. Part of my instinct says I should cut that part out, but I'm going to leave it in there with this explanation of why it was stupid of me to say that. What I mean is simply this. A better way to put it is, if you do not know how to read, write, and know your history, you are helpless to society. Society can push you anywhere it wants and do anything with you, and you will reactively respond because you only have what's right in front of your eyes to work with. So please, get out and learn some history. Get the fuck out and learn some history. Read some books. If those books uh, are written by political pundits, though, you should not read those history books. Those history books are skewed to create, to fit a narrative. They're garbage. They're not real history. Go read book, history books by fucking history professors. I know it's dry as hell. Or get someone smart to tell you actual history. And if they start talking to you about Hyborians, leave that YouTube channel. They don't know real history. All right, where was I? <clears throat> so I took theater history. And that was important. Because theater history changed my perspective on art. It opened up my mind to what art really was and how art is created and how art functions in society. You see, because we get these we get this idea in our head that art is something that is objective, that art is somehow measurable. But, and this is important, art is 100% not measurable. You cannot measure art. Art is an intangible thing. Art is frequently a reflection of the choices made by the artist and the society in which the artist lived at the time. Art is an immeasurable thing. The concept of what constitutes good or bad or real art has repeatedly changed throughout the history of the fucking world. Okay? It started in ancient Greece, where the Greeks came up with theater. And this is a fun thing. The Greeks broke poetry down into basically two categories. Poetry and theater. They probably had a third one for painting shit, but I, I mean, we didn't talk about that in theater history. Uh, and most of, that sh most of the ideas for that shit came from Aristotle and some other playwrights. But the Greeks had very specific ideas in their minds about what real theater was. What, what real, oh, sorry, I got it wrong. Theater and sports. All entertainment to the Greeks were theater and sports. See, I'm trying to remember shit I learned a decade ago. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways, the theater 
there were the Greeks essentially had their ideas of what made theater great, and they had very restrictive rules about what made theater great. Because there were essentially there were three genres of of Greek theater. There was tragedy, and the Greeks defined tragedy as when good men fail. And Greece, and the other one was comedy, and the Greeks defined comedy as when evil men succeed. That was their idea of what was funny and what was tragic. Now, on, what's interesting is that if you look at this, you could almost say that each is a reversal of the other. Well, sort of. Greek tragedy almost always centered around the concept of someone who was heroic or good doing something fucked up. Like, like Medea. Uh, Medea is the story of a, of a woman who is, who, is, who is a good woman. Who is a good woman who murders her family when people fuck her over. And like, that's the tragedy. She ended up in a position where she murdered her family. Even though she was objectively the, she was even though she is the good person. Then, and then you also have things like Antigone, which is which is similar, except arguably Creon is the real, uh, arguably Creon is the real protagonist of that story, since he is the one who fucks everything up, uh, and Antigone is just the person who pays the price. But the Greeks also had a bunch of other rules, things like decorum and, 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 other, and other elements that they felt made, it, made up the story, made up how the best way to tell stories in theater was. And then you go a few, forward a few hundred years, and then, the, and then the Romans came in, and they had, then the Romans basically came in and stole all the, oh, I'm sorry. There was a third genre of Greek theater called the satyr. Later, we... Later, which later became the satire. The satire or satyr is a is a considered was considered a lower theater by the Greeks because it was a mixing of genres. It would have elements of drama and of of, of tragedy and comedy in it at the same time, which is why which is why there which is why uh, satire itself has a sort of more sardonic edge to it than than other things like satire the difference between satire and a farce is a farce is saying is saying ah it's a joke and a satire is saying it's a joke but i fucking mean it you bitch ah uh, so like there there's a good way to describe satire to someone uh <clears throat> satire is saying this is the real problem and I don't mean it lightly. Um, but uh, but so those are the three genres the Greeks came up, and with and these genres were essentially uh, then stolen by the Romans, who took it and they were like looked at some of the Greeks' rules. Like the Greek had very specific rules about how like ah eh, people shouldn't be getting murdered or fucking on stage. That's that's obscene. Actually, that's where the word obscene comes from. It means off scene, an event that is too too like too violent or sexual to actually show to the audience so it happens off scene 
Uh, but the, the Romans were like, no, man, let's get that fucking in murder on stage. Yeah, blood. Hey, can we kill a real actor on stage? Oh, hell yeah, we can do that. Uh, <clears throat> and so the Greeks' idea of what made theater change dramatically uh, when the Romans essentially came in and stole and rewrote all their plays. The Romans also created more elaborate forms of theater, um, like the, oh, and I'm probably going to mix up this fucking word, but uh, now Machia, literally they would fill the Colosseums with water and put boats on them and have people battle to the death on the boats. Uh, which, I can't lie, would be insane to watch. Um, would be hell of a spectacle. Um, but, so the point is, though, that they changed the Greeks' rules for what made good theater. And then there was the classical period, and the classical period had even more rules. They came up with rules like, well, a good play should all happen in one day. Yeah, because a the because audiences won't understand that time has passed. Uh, if that much time has passed, you're right, because they've only been sitting there for two hours. So they're gonna be like, hey, it hasn't been a week. You're right, so the most we could extend it is a 24-hour period. All right, all the events in the play have to happen in 24 hours. Yeah, I like it! Uh, and that was, that was a thing classical theaters believed in. They had a bunch of other rules, too. But the, the point is specifically this, is that rules continue to evolve and change. And then there was the Shakespeare, and then Shakespeare wrote his plays, and the classical people fucking... And, and classical might be the wrong word. How long, I forget how long classical period lasted, but whatever period that Shakespeare was technically in when Shakespeare uh, wrote his plays, um, a lot of people were like, oh, Shakespeare's plays are trash. Look at how many rules he broke for how to tell a story. Gross. Get him the fuck out of here. And all this sex and violence, he's just making up those fucking words. Those words don't mean anything. This is nonsense. <clears throat> And, and so Shakespeare, now considered one of the greatest writers and playwrights of all fucking time, was in his own time considered to be trashy, low theater sold on sex and violence. Wild, right? And then his plays were, made, were then popularized later by the romantic period of theater where the romantics came in and they had all these lofty ideas that would make you think they were smoking a lot of pot or something stuff like oh, they had a lot of hippie ideas like oh nature is it's all about the nature cities are bad people who live in the woods are good what if the what if the bad guy was like a, an authority figure and the hero was like a robber Oh, dude, I'm loving it. This is great shit. And that was romanticism. Um, now, technically, the word romanticism means in the style of the Romans. Uh, so their plays were a little bit more melodramatic. Um, but they, they, they basically were stories where outlaws were the heroes and princes and kings were the bad guys. Um, and it was very based on, like, Things Thoreau wrote and other shit. But Romanticism popularized uh, Shakespeare's plays that had numerous romantic elements to them already. 
And then stuff moved on, and then there was melodramas and turn of the century theater, and and then there was then modernism was born. And modernism was they started writing the plays all based on the ideas. Oh, excuse me, just burping up some of my sparkly water. I like it because it breaks up the formality. I apologize if you think it's gross. But part of me wants this to be weird. <clears throat> where was I? All right, so then there was modernism where people came up with the... Where modernism was basically built on the ideas of, of Marx, Freud, and Darwin. Uh, so the idea that human beings were economical, psychological, and uh, biological. So those would be the... those. Modernism is the idea that those three things are what inform human behavior and civilization itself. That is the idea of mod. That's what modernism means. Um, uh, is it's all about that industrial era change with that Enlightenment influence. Um, and the next time anyone tells you, "Hey, postmodernists were all communists," please remind them that modernism itself was also invented by communists. Anyways, but the point is, is that this created a new set of rules for the plays to be written on. Um, and it resulted in what we now consider to be more naturalistic theater and storytelling in movies and everything else now, where characters have developed psychological backgrounds and, and money problems and 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 all and, and and all that stuff. And science is big and stuff now too. And that's sort of like modernism. It's the result of how it affected. Basically, most of the stories we consume now still employ basic modernist structure, where you have characters and their stakes and backgrounds and it's all very relatable and grounded that is all a result of modernism now however uh it, near the beginning of the 20th century uh there was this whole thing where uh we had a thing called world war one and after world war one was over the artists were all damaged and freaked out by all that shit and so you basically start so two new uh two new art movements get started in europe that spiraled into uh it's ended up spiraling into uh, into what we consider postmodernism, uh, you know, stuff like Dadaism and Futurism. Dadaism, of course, was created by a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, angry anarchists who got pissed, who after the war were traumatized and got all nihilistic about the meaning of the world and how worthless everything was. So they decided they were going to create anti-art that would just be nonsense and people hated it and burned down their theaters well they weren't really their theaters they were theaters they were renting so that, that's kind of fucked up uh but and then there were the futurists who uh were anti uh who were basically fascists they took fascist ideas and applied them to art and they dreamed of things like plays that were 100 percent animatronics and no actors and they believed in and they were anti-education and anti-museum uh yeah uh futurists bro fucking a and they helped mussolini get elected and stuff you know 
fucked up. And uh, and those ideas turn into surrealism, which all eventually became postmodernism. And postmodernism was essentially a rejection of all the rules of modernism. And of course, you know, there's other stuff in there. Oh, and German, uh, oh, fuck, what is it? Expressionism. There's tons of, t I, this is a very grossly abridged theater history lesson, people. I can't cover it all, because that's not the point. I just need you to understand these things, because they form the basis of what I'm about to say. Ultimately, all art criticism, including cinema, theater, whatever, is completely masturbatory. There is, there is very little other value to it beyond masturbation. The only other reason to analyze storytelling, theater, and the arts is to decide how you yourself would want to tell stories. And beyond that, well, create art. And beyond that, it's, it's, it's basically jerking off uh, over something that you love or hate. Because sometimes, a lot of times, especially now on the internet where negativity reigns, a lot of it's jerking off to hating things. And I get that. that don't get me wrong. I fucking love mentally jerking off to art that I love. Oh my god, to think about the deeper layers behind every movie, comic book, and 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 film that I watch and and analyze it and get into arguments with dumbasses online who don't like my opinions. Like I fucking love jerking it to that shit, man. I don't mean literally jerking off. This is metaphorical jerking off. I Jerk off to normal things. <clears throat> the point it, the point is, is that I I totally get the impulse for that mental masturbation. I even love to read other people's reviews sometimes, or or watch YouTubers complain or dissect a film. But like I ha but like the thing is, and this is what's important. Art is not objective. There is literally no objective element to art. You could say, but Ruben, what about what about the craft? Can't we objectively measure the craft of a film or movie or book? I mean, to a degree, yeah. I mean, there are rules for grammar, I guess, in terms of how a book is written. I mean, you could analyze the way a film was shot, whether it was competently edited or, or sound produced. Uh, yeah, no, there's a craft element where, like, we can tell if something was done sloppily or lazily or, or half-assed. But let me ask you this, though. Uh, the problem with that, though, is that ultimately even those objective standards are secondary to what the project is itself and what the project wants from those crafting elements. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Let's say you're watching a movie, and it's a found footage movie. You know, like Blair Witch Project, or, 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 or Blair Witch Project, or, 
or uh, 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 Blair Witch Project. Oh, there's only. Oh no, there are three Blair Witch Projects. Oh, the second one's not found footage. Fuck. Uh, uh, I don't know why I can't think of any other found footage movies right now. Oh, Cloverfield, the first one. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. The point is, is that if you're watching a found footage movie, then you the camera work is going to be shit, <laughs> and it's supposed to be shit. Because the idea is that this is just somebody recording an actual event that is happening. Oh, Chronicle. That's a good one. Chronicle. Uh, so, this is actually a situation where, yeah, no, the camera work isn't going to be good. <clears throat> I mean, if they're doing it well, you'll still be able to tell what's happening in the story. Unless, of course, the creator of the art, for some reason, has something in the story where they specifically don't want you to. In which case, it is then on purpose. In a found footage movie, the sound editing can be purposefully on bad. Can be purposefully bad on purpose. Wait. Or like the thing that happened with Tenet, where there's parts in the movie where the sound is deliberately distorted. And lots of critics didn't get it. And they were just like, what was that about? But it turned out later, it was an intentional choice. And the thing is, is that when a person makes an intentional choice, you can't really say that the film isn't doing what it's trying to do, which, interestingly enough, is the only way art can really fail, is if it doesn't do what it's trying to do. But then, even then, you could argue that the art real value is that the way it makes its audience feel and therefore even if the film failed at what it was trying to do if it still accomplished something else that the audience appreciates then it's still art well uh yeah yeah and that's the thing so there's just no real objective standard to any of this it's constantly shifting through the sands of time what is considered good storytelling today might look hackneyed tomorrow. And what is considered weird or unacceptable today could be the way, could be the way that films in the future are all made. Which some of you film freaks that might weird you out. And this is sort of an unsettling thing to understand, that the ultimately art's goal is to do two things, or at least it is according to the Greeks. The Greeks said that theater, to be true good theater, it had to do two things, educate and amuse, educate and entertain. So it had to make you think and it had to make you feel. Because being educated is a thing where you are thinking. And making you feel is a thing. Where, and making you, entertaining you is a thing that you feel. Now, you can get a feeling from learning. Many people do. So sometimes they can even be intertwined. So based on this idea, which strictly belongs to the, which is a Greek idea, and therefore we have to question whether it means anything to us at all right now. But the point is, 
is that based on these things, a certain level of all art's real value is how it affects the audience. What does the movie make you think or feel? The film is not going to make us all think or feel the same things because we have not lived the same lives and our perspectives are going to be different. Certain elements of the film may appeal to people differently, thereby making all forms of art criticism merely an opinion. And the thing about an opinion is, is that people may agree with you or they may disagree with you. And people may even have different opinions to you, but at the same time also hate or like the thing that you're talking about, and thereby either go with you or against you on it. Ultimately, any conversation you are having with a person about any form of art is only as meaningful or enjoyable as it is to both people because there is literally no value to saying, oh, the art you like is fucking lame, and I hate it, and it's trash. There's no value to it. Unless, I mean, unless, unless the thing you're, you're responding to is, like, weird propaganda designed to, like, recruit you into being a Nazi or, or, uh, or some shit like, or, like, Scientology or some shit. Because that's a different philosophical concept and argument, to be honest. I will say that also, uh, you hype. Okay, I will also say that arguably you could objectively judge a documentary, because it, if a documentary has lied to you, that is objectively a bad thing. But this is speaking more to the artistic. Uh, be more well. Documentaries can be artistic. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying. There is an objective measurement for documentaries, whereas for more like storytelling, storytelling or sensory films, there is not. Because ultimately, the value of that film is just however it made you think or feel. And that will vary from person to person. And every person's gonna, different thing is gonna make that dopamine line up in our brains different things. You can't go around just expecting everyone to be getting blasted with the same dopamine you are, because you're not. And until you let that go, and until you understand that people might like films that you don't, you're going to be stuck in this stupid box, like this incredibly stupid box, where you're just trying to rationalize your feelings with what you believe to be critical analysis. And the thing is, is that it's not critical analysis. Your brain is just justifying why you felt the way you did about the film. And the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that inherently either. It's just how your brain is filtering the movie. And all of our brains are gonna filter the movie differently. So I guess what I'm saying is, please stop fucking with me on my Facebook. Okay, you know who you are, bitches. Don't be coming on my page when I'm saying I'm, I love a movie or a movie made me cry and give me that laughy face emotion. Fuck you, bitch. I'm on this. This is my fucking page. Get off my fucking page. 
and stop arguing with me about Wonder Woman 84, okay? The movie's got its problems. The movie's got its problems. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying, when I watch it, I had a genuine human emotional response to that fucking movie, and it made me cry, and it was at a time in my life when I really fucking needed to cry, okay? So you know what? Fuck the fuck off with your opinions. Also, if you don't like Henry Cavill as Superman, and I've made a post where I think Henry Cavill as Superman is dope and they need to make more movies with him as Superman, this is not an opportunity for you to tell me why you think I... Henry Cavill was shit at Superman. I do not fucking care. Do not fucking care. Do not fucking care. Get off your high horses. Stop walking around being like, Oh, my opinion is reality. Because oh, I don't view the world that way. I'm not saying you need to view the world the way I do. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying you need to accept that we all view the world differently. That's what I'm saying. But what was I saying? Back to... I got carried away there again. Back to... Well, that's the uncut part. Well, that and my foreskin. Facts. All right. Uh, where was I? Right, so this is the thing. There's no real objective measurement for movies and storytelling. Nothing objective. But like rating and reviewing and analyzing films is fun. In fact, I would even go far, so far to use the metaphor that it's like Pokemon, you know? Because, like, you're watching the movies so that you can have an opinion on it. And once you have an opinion on a movie, it's like, oh, I caught that fucking movie. Only, instead of leveling it up, you now get to rank it yourself. You get to say, like, oh, I thought that movie was three stars. I thought the movie was two stars. I thought that movie was trash. I'm going to go on Facebook and write about how it was trash. Oh, yeah. Because that is fun. That is fun. I'm not going to sit here and deny that that isn't fun. But it's also not serious. And it's not worth things like gatekeeping or harassing people or just, you know, any type of domineering behavior. Because if you enter into a conversation with a person and you're like, oh, I hate that fucking movie that you love. I want to tell you why. Then, and, they, and they're politely like, I think you should, I think you should, should go away and I, I don't want to talk to you about that. Guess what? You're not entitled to force your opinion on them. That sense of you just wanting to be understood isn't relevant here because it doesn't matter. You love that, you hate that movie or love that movie, and you love the way that makes you feel. The other thing about film analysis or film reviews on the internet uh, is that it's a fucking easy job. Oh my god. That, like, could you, could you think of an easier job that requires no qualifications? A job you could easily work your way into professionally with just a blog or a YouTube channel? 
and all you have to do is watch movies and say what you think about them? I'm sorry, an easy job. Don't get me wrong. There's tedious things like editing and actually collecting your thoughts. But in comparison to like working at a Burger King, it's super easy. The other thing is, though, is that I do want to just take a moment here to talk about the fact that there is a disconnect between film critics and the standard audience. And this does lead to this thing where uh, standard audience people are like, oh, man, movie critics don't know what they're talking about. <clears throat> and movie critics lament how the plebeians are not going to see Duel. Which, to be fair, I hear is a really good movie. The Duel. Sorry, Duel is a different movie. But, the, but there is a disconnect between audiences and critics. And if you go on, on Rotten Tomato, this can actually prove that. Uh, go see how many movies that are considered classics now that critics just absolutely destroyed when they first came out. It's, you might be surprised. But there is a disconnect between these groups of people, because, and there's a reason for that. One of them is that movie critics are trying to make it, are making this their living, or want to make it their living. So they're going out and they're watching as many, if not all, of the movies they can, and and then trying to share their opinions on all those movies. And the thing is that there's a lot of movies out there where like. They reach up to a grade where they're really not good enough to, to entertain critics, but they are good enough to entertain the average audience member. And the reason for that is, is because movie critics have to watch almost every single movie that comes out. So for them, a bunch of movies are going to start to just fucking blur together. And the more similar movies are, the more... The, more, the less movie critics are going to want to engage with them because the number of movies that movie critics watch are they are going to want a higher level of novelty than the, or even entertainment or storytelling than the, uh, than the average audience who actually will, enjoy, will typically enjoy films that feel familiar because familiar feeling films give, them a, give the audience a sense of comfort. And it has another, so it has another level to it. And also, a lot of audiences just aren't as demanding as film critics because audiences don't necessarily need to have a strong opinion about movies and then share them with people. I mean, technically, we all have Facebook and Twitter and shit, so everyone can. But the point is, is not every movie, not everyone is going to necessarily feel strong enough about films to feel like they have to have a strong opinion on it. And this leads to film critics liking a lot of movies that average audiences have never heard of, and average audiences liking movies that critics were bored to death by because they've seen that action movie with Vin Diesel 16 fucking times now. And they just want something new to come on the screen. So yeah, there's going to be a disconnect between people who watch films casually and people who watch ca 
who watch films either as a hobby or for a job. It's going to be very different ways that they're watching the films too. Critics are going to watch with a more critical eye. And movie fans will also be watching with a more critical eye as well. They'll probably know who the directors are. Well, an average audience member might not know who's directing that next big Marvel movie because that's not a thing they thought was important before going to see the film. They just know that at some point, Chris Hemsworth's going to take his shirt off and there'll be some funny lines and someone will get punched in the face. And that's all they need as a standard audience. In my personal opinion, we should take a new approach to reviewing art. Instead of movie critics asking themselves, is this film good or bad? They should be asking themselves, who is the audience for this film? What type of people might enjoy this film? Because ultimately, a movie critic's real job, what they exist for, is to tell you how to spend your money on movies. Is to get you to is to help you decide which films you're going you think you might enjoy. Which is why typically the advice on movie critics is to find a movie critic that you think aligns similarly with your own taste. And thereby make it more likely that you will they will suggest films that you enjoy. But I think that movie critics spend too much time thinking about witty put-downs and not enough of thinking about who would watch this film. Who is the audience? Am I the audience? If I'm not the audience, I should probably be slightly more benevolent with this film. <clears throat> so that's, that's what I think should be different in film criticism. Which is not to say that I don't still love to see a review where people slam a movie. It is fun. Once again, I will repeat that is fun. And if you are a movie critic or connoisseur that is listening to this, I want you to know I still love you. And I probably still go to your, your blog or Facebook page or YouTube or whatever to read your reviews because that's fun. And I enjoy hearing what you think. And I don't want you to think that I'm sitting here saying, oh, the thing that you do is dumb. Because I think it's dumb. But I also think it's fun. What can I say? I love masturbating. Intellectually. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, oh, Reginald. Oh, I, oh, God, your witty put-downs on that film make me harder than diamonds. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, Reginald, yes. Oh, God, wait, did you just call me your name? Oh, that's just how... I don't remember. Fuck, I'm horny. Oh, God, yeah. We should... You think we should tell our wives? Oh, Joe. Let's not think about them. Just tell me what you... Just tell me what you think about the Transformers films and put your tongue in my mouth.
I think the first one is basically good and I didn't care for any of the rest. Oh god, just take me, Joe!